turning in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. <coughs> Matthew chapter 2. to read it verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. We thank You for that wonderful day when the Word was made flesh, when God stepped out of eternity into time for one purpose, and that was to go to the cross of Calvary and shed His blood there that we might have life. We pray that You would help us to see that message this morning and the wonder of it to the end that those that may not know You as their Savior would trust You. And that those who are saved would rejoice today in the great love wherewith You loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to look at the other passage, Christmas passage, um, with which we're the most familiar. And that's these verses here in Matthew chapter 2. I believe our traditions, and and by traditions I mean um, from my own experience, Christmas programs have caused us to combine this passage in Luke chapter 2 as having taken place on the same night. Growing up, one boy was Joseph. We all wanted that part because you didn't have to say anything. The rest of us were either shepherds or wise men. And the same was true of the girls. One girl was Mary. One girl was the angel of the Lord who spoke to the shepherds. And the rest of the girls were part of the multitude of the heavenly hosts. So both of these accounts were combined as though they took place on the same night. Now, there was no harm intended. It was simply a way to tell the story of the Lord's birth, all the story of the Lord's birth, in one program and involve as many children as possible. But having been taught this through programs uh, for my life growing up, the first time I heard a preacher say they didn't happen on the same night, I about jumped out of my seat has an effect upon you. But when we look at the record, it becomes clear that these events happened at two different times. For example, in Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds came to Bethlehem, they found the babe, the newborn child. They found the Lord Jesus in the manger where He had just been laid by Mary. Here in Matthew chapter 2, in contrast to Luke chapter 2, We see in verse 11 that the wise men came not to a manger, 
Not to a barn, not to a stall. They came to a house. And in this same verse, we're told that they, uh, they see not a babe, not a newborn, but a young child. And that description of the Lord Jesus is repeated for emphasis in verse 13 and verse 14. A possible indication of the age of the young child is in verse 16 here in Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 2, because when Herod sees that the wise men have ignored him, he sends, and as we see it there, he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. The implication of these words... I believe, is that Herod didn't just arbitrarily reach up and grab two years old and under out of the air. He picked that time frame based on the information that he got from the wise men. Look at verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. In verse 7, Herod inquired diligently. He investigates diligently. That's one of the meanings of the word diligently. And he does that so that he can know accurately. That's another meaning of this word diligently. What time the star appeared. And it's based on the information that Herod gets from these wise men that he sets the time in verse 16, two years old and under. And when we think about that, then the indication could be that these wise men first saw the star two years earlier when the Lord Jesus was born. And I couldn't help but wonder if part of Herod's diligent investigation about what time the star appeared, if he wasn't trying to tie the appearance of the star that these wise men saw back to the time that the shepherds had made known abroad, had published abroad, had made known thoroughly That's what the word abroad means. You remember when they um, left uh, the babe in the manger, they went out and made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. We read that in Luke 2.17. And so I wonder, that word got around. That word was known. The angels had appeared to the shepherds and told them that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the sign was you would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And that's what they made known abroad. I believe that all of these things together, perhaps, are why Herod set the upper limit at two years of age. Something that we want to just mention in passing, Last Sunday we were talking about how the conditions that existed at the Lord's first coming would be the condition that exists when He comes again. Herod's command here is another example of that. 
When the Lord Jesus came the first time, infanticide was the policy of the government of Rome. It's the policy of our government and the governments of the world today. 64 million babies murdered in the U.S. since 1973. 1.7 billion worldwide since 1980. As it was when the Lord Jesus came the first time, so shall it be when He comes again. But we want to go back to this time frame that Herod so diligently uh, wanted to establish. If the star did appear to these wise men on the night that the Lord Jesus was born, then why did it take them two years to get there? But before we answer that question, we need to think about who these wise men were. The Spirit of God gives us the answer as to who they were in verse 1. He tells us they were from the east. But east of where? In order to measure east, you have to have a starting point. Where are you going to measure east from? So where is the starting point? It's Jerusalem. It's like that because God told Jeroboam back in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 36, when Israel was about to be divided, He told Jeroboam that unto Solomon's son Rehoboam, will I give one tribe that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. Jerusalem is the city and all the earth where the Lord has chosen to put His name. God said in Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations. If you have a Defender Study Bible, Dr. Henry Morris points out in his note on that verse that modern computer studies have shown that Jerusalem is indeed very near the geographical center of all the earth's land areas. And therefore, just as God said, it's in the midst of the nations. So Jerusalem is the center. Jerusalem is the starting point for measuring direction in the Bible. And so what area do we find east of Jerusalem? Well, we find modern-day Iraq. We find Babylon. We find what became the Persian Empire. And so these wise men from the east came from this area. They came from Persia, east of Jerusalem. Now that we know who they were, we're ready to think about why it took them two years to get to Jerusalem. There's an interesting verse in the book of Ezra, and I just mention it as a sort of a point of reference for our thinking this morning. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9 tells us that it took four months, four months for Ezra to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. So we use that as a guide and it took them two years from the time that they saw the star to get to Jerusalem. That leaves 20 months in the lives of these wise men. What were they doing for that time? I'd like to suggest a thought to you in answer to that question. 
I believe they were studying the Word of God. But how? How would they have gotten their hands on a copy of the Word of God? Daniel is how. Daniel is how. Turn back to Daniel chapter 9, if you will. It's interesting that again this week, we're going to talk a little bit from Daniel chapter 9. We did last week. It's interesting how Daniel's writings are so connected to the message of Christmas. Look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Notice that Daniel says in verse 2 that he understood by books, by books, the number of the years. The language here is very important. Daniel knew the number of the years. He states them right here in verse 2. But I believe what he is telling us when he says he understood by books the number of the years, he's telling us that he understood why. Why the Lord was going to accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. But what books is he talking about? What books did he read from that gave him this this understanding I believe he's talking about the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, perhaps others. But I believe those five for sure. And what that tells us is that when Daniel was taken captive to Babylon, he took these books of the Word of God with him. Tells us something about the priorities in his life, doesn't it? When an invading army comes and they're taking captives, they don't tell them to meet down at the public square in two hours with all of their earthly belongings and they're going to transport them to Babylon. No. They snatch them and take them. What are you going to take that is important to you to take to Babylon with you? What's important, Daniel? The books. The books, that's what's important to me. The Word of God. What would you take if someone told you you can take one possession with you, you're going to be rounded up, you're going to be taken to a place, some other place? What would you take? Family pictures? Try to take your laptop? Certainly take your cell phone. What about taking the Word of God with you? Daniel did that. And it's from these books that Daniel understood the number of the years that the Lord would accomplish in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now I want to look at one of the books that Daniel may have looked at. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 25, if you will. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25, and look at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, 
when you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Not just the people. The land was to keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field. Remember, six days shalt thou labor. You rest on the seventh, seventh day. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Verse 4 is very clear. Every seven years, that seventh year was to be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Now look over at chapter 26. Here in this chapter, the Lord gives His people the blessings that will come uh, to them for obedience to His commands. That begins in verse 3. And then beginning in verse 14, He gives the judgments that will come upon them for disobedience to His law. Now, for the sake of, of time and for what we're wanting to, to, to notice here, look at chapter 26 and verse 32. This is part of the consequences for disobedience to the nation of Israel. And I will bring the land into desolation. Notice that word. And your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen. That happened. That happened to Israel when the Assyrians came and took them away. And it happened to Judah when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took them captive. Daniel is living that, by the way. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. This is the language that we find in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2 where Daniel talks about the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, look at verse 34. When this happens, then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lieth desolate. And ye be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. This is what Daniel is understanding from the books, from the Word of God that he has there in Babylon. Now he understands why the Lord is going to accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. It's because that for 490 years, the people of Israel had ignored the law of God and so the Lord has brought the land into desolation. He scattered Israel and Judah among the heathen. And the land is desolate and the cities are waste. And now the land is going to rest for 70 years to make up for every seventh year that was ignored for 490 years. 490 years divided by a Sabbath of rest for the land every seven years equals 
70 years. This is what Daniel understood by books. Now there's something that I would just mention in passing. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But Israel rebelled against the law. They rebelled against the Word and the command of God for 490 years. And what is God's response to Israel's 490 years of rebellion? Well, it's 70 weeks of years that we read about in Daniel chapter 9. It's 490 years. Think about that. 490 years of rebellion. And now there's going to be 490 years of God dealing with Israel and Jerusalem. And God tells us in the book of Daniel that in that 490 year period, He's going to finish the transgression. The 70 years of captivity is going to end. The city and the wall will be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. And that's not all. In that 490 year period, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be cut off. And He's cutting off In His cutting off, God is going to make an end of sins. He's going to make reconciliation for iniquity. That's the cross. And then God is going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to seal up the vision and prophecy. And He is going to anoint the Most Holy, the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And He shall reign forever. And ever. What is God's response to Israel's 490 years of rebellion? It's 490 years of dealing with them in love and mercy and grace. What is God's response to 490 years of disobedience and rejection? Rejecting His rest? The rest that they were to give the land for the uh, nation? He offers them rest. They've neglected to let the land rest. The Messiah, the Lord Jesus, comes in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, and He says to them, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. God is always breathing out. His hand is stretched out still because He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you entered into His rest? Or are you like Israel, rejecting His rest and continuing in your own labors to save yourself? And what's God's response to your rejection of His offer of rest? Exactly what His response was to Israel. Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. One other point while we're on this little trail. Um, Look back at at Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 8. Because this this is part of this period, this 490 year period. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. 
And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month and the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land. By the way, that part of that Bible verse is on the liberty bell. Unto all the inhabitants thereof, it shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. Part of this sabbatical gear, giving the land rest, and the jubilee year after seven sabbatical years was to proclaim liberty and to release those who were in servitude, to release those who were captive. And so when Israel rejected the sabbatical year of rest for the land. They rejected this year of jubilee. They stopped proclaiming liberty to the captives. And so within that 490 year period were nine jubilee years that were ignored, that were missed. Liberty was not proclaimed to the captives. Now I'll tell you why this is so wonderful to think about. And it does tie in to the message of Christmas and the message of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth. And you remember that the book of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he read from Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, listen, to proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Folks, the Lord Jesus is our Jubilee. He came to do what Israel had stopped doing for those 490 years. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to fulfill those nine jubilee years. Why nine? Nine is the number of judgment in the Bible. And the cutting off of the Messiah, when the Lord Jesus took our place in judgment on the cross of Calvary, He was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. His separation from the Father as He was made sin for us ended. And His restoration to fellowship with the Father came because the price of our sin had been paid. And that took place at the ninth hour. And because the Lord Jesus fulfilled those nine years of jubilee, He now proclaims liberty to the captives. He now proclaims the acceptable year of the Lord. And Luke tells us that when the Lord Jesus read those words from Isaiah 61, He closed the book. He didn't read the next words of Isaiah 61 too. And the day of vengeance of our God. Because it's not the day of vengeance of our God. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. This is why He came. This is the message of Christmas. And so Daniel had the books of the Word of God there in Babylon. These books were there during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. They were there during the reign of Belshazzar. 
They were there in the reign of Darius the Mede and Cyrus the king of Persia. And God's Word is not going to return to Him void. It is going to prosper in the thing whereto He sent it. And He sent it there and He kept it there for these wise men. It's these books, I believe, that they were studying. And so they see a star in the sky. But what does that star mean? Well, if you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 1 for just a minute, they see a star. They were astronomers, the Persians were. And so they see a star in the sky. See something that they haven't, haven't ever seen a star like this before. Well, how are they going to figure out what it means? Well, they had the books. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Here they would have learned that the lights that God put in the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars, were for signs. They were for miraculous signs. They were a signal. They were a message from heaven. But what was the message that this star was conveying? Well, they studied the books. They kept studying. And they would have read Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman and how this seed would come and bruise the head of the serpent and how the serpent would bruise his heel. They read about the lamb that God slew to clothe Adam and Eve. They read the prophecy of Abraham in Genesis 22.8 that God will provide Himself a lamb. God will provide Himself a lamb. So there, here's this one who is coming. They would have come to Genesis chapter 49. If you'll look over there to Genesis chapter 49... They would have seen in Genesis chapter 49 Jacob's words to his sons. And they would have seen in particular his words to Judah. Look at Genesis chapter 49 and verse 8. Jacob says to Judah, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. That's what the name Judah means. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? Verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. You see the progressive nature of the revelation as these men are studying the books? And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Notice the words in verse 10. The scepter. A scepter is a mark. It's an emblem of kingly authority. And Jacob tells Judah, the name Judah 
is word 3063 in your Strong's Concordance. And Judah is the word, the name from which the name Jew is derived. If you look up the word Jew, you find it for the first time over in Esther, you find that it's word 3064, and it is derived from the name Judah, word 3063. And so here these wise men would have learned that Judah is the kingly tribe of the Jews. So they're getting more information. And so they kept digging and searching the Scriptures diligently. It's interesting to me how we find that word diligently in Matthew chapter 2. Herod inquired diligently. Where did he get that kind of diligence from? I believe he got it from what the diligence that he saw in these wise men. Their diligence, searching the Scriptures diligently, and the revelation was unfolding. And then they would have come to Numbers chapter 24. If you look over there. Numbers chapter 24. And verse 17. Numbers 24 and verse 17, they would have read this prophecy from Balaam of all people. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. Now notice, there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. There shall come a star out of Jacob. They were looking at that miraculous sign in the sky. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A king shall rise out of Israel. And these wise men, you can almost hear them. I don't know how many there were gathered around the table and all of these uh, parchments of the Word of God there. And they said, we know the tribe from which He's coming. He's coming from Judah. He's the King of the Jews. And this is His star. And so now after months of studying the books that Daniel brought to Babylon that remain there through the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians. Now, after maybe 20 months of the study of the Scriptures, they're ready to take the four-month journey to Jerusalem. And they arrive in Matthew chapter 2. Let's go back there if you will. They arrive in Jerusalem with this question in verse 2. And I would just say this is not a question of doubt. This is a question of authority. This is a question of belief. Where is He that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen His star in the east and are come to worship Him. I want you to look at what they knew about this child. They knew He was God. That's why they brought gold. Gold speaks to us of deity. 
It speaks to us of divine righteousness. It speaks to us of the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. And then they bought frankincense. As these wise men had studied through the offerings made to the Lord by fire, and there in the Old Testament, the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, they would have read how frankincense was added to the offerings and that frankincense made that offering a sweet savor unto the Lord. That was the Lord Jesus. The fragrance of His life was a sweet savor to His Father. He did always those things that pleased the Father is what the Lord Jesus said. That's why God the Father smelled the sweet savor of His life and He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then they gave the Lord Jesus myrrh. Myrrh speaks of suffering and humiliation. The kind that we read about in Isaiah chapter 53. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And He was going to die He was going to die and be buried. When Nicodemus joined Joseph of Arimathea to bury the Lord Jesus, remember that John tells us that he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes. Think about what these wise men knew. They knew from the books that God was going to be manifest in the flesh. That's gold. They knew He was going to live a sinless, perfect life that would be a sweet savor to God. That's frankincense. They knew that He would be despised and rejected of men. He was going to die. He was going to be cut off, but not for Himself. The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That's myrrh. These men knew and believed the message of Christmas. Where is He that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen His star in the east. That's a statement of faith and belief. They believe the message of Christmas. Have you? You know the message. You know it backward and forward. You've heard it now for the how many hundredth time? How many hundreds of times? But have you believed it? The message that God sent forth His Son to go to the cross of Calvary and shed His blood that you and I might be saved. Right now, you need to cease from your own labors. You need to enter into the rest of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, while it is still the acceptable year of the Lord, you need to enter into His jubilee His proclamation of liberty to the captives. The captives who are bound and dead in trespasses and sins. You can enter into that rest this morning. You can receive that liberty this morning. If you'll humble your heart, if you'll lay down your rebellion, if you'll turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him to be your Savior. That is the message of Christmas. Father, we thank You for the opportunity again this morning to to think about these things. And Father, we pray that we would do more than think about them. We pray that we would believe them. That we would believe the marvelous message of salvation. 
that there are any here who are lost today, that they would receive the unspeakable gift this morning of the life of God Himself. We thank You for so great salvation that delivers us from so great a death. We just pray that You would help us today. Speak to those who are lost. and Father, draw praise from the hearts of those who are saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.